We've been talking about a cultural war. What is that? We talked about all the battles that we're in in the culture of the United States. We dealt with those battles and we've already talked about phase one, how we'll win the war. And now we talk about phase two and winning the cultural war. But we have to understand, I think, what I picked up from Peter Kreft, professor at Boston College, is he talked about Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson gave us these parameters that will stand before liberals or conservatives, will stand anytime, any place in the world. Follow me now. These principles are operative, fundamental principles, all cultural wars, anytime, any place in all of history. In all of history. This is how a culture operates. This ought to be written into our minds and hearts so we can understand, philosophically at least, and functionally at least, where we are. First of all, you have cops and conscience. Where you have a people, a culture, and they have a high degree of conscience, right and wrong, morality, you don't need a lot of cops. The crime areas is where you need cops. In other areas, you have a high degree of conscience, but where you do not have a high degree of conscience, you must have cops. So as you have more cops are needed to keep law and order and harmony and safety with people, you know your conscience is declining. Where you have fewer cops operative, you know the conscience of those people of that area is increasing. These are both good things. They complement one another. Where you have community, togetherness, harmony, central theme, it's like the universe. You and I, one, versa, many. You have one universe, but God created all the cosmos in community and harmony so it functions. And therefore, where you have community, you don't have to worry about chaos. Where you don't have community, always you deal with chaos. And when you have chaos, the cops must come in. And if you continue to have a community that is not united, a community that is fighting, a community that has no harmony about it, always you have chaos and cops have to come in and you end up having anarchy. Dictatorship, rule by a few, the government top heavy, handling everything else in the affairs of human beings. Now this is something that I think even liberals cannot debate with, conservatives cannot debate with. This is a fundamental principles of all cultural wars. You can't argue with it. I don't think many people ever tried to argue with it. And the question is, where are we at this moment in the history of the United States to think about anarchy in America. My goodness, who would have dreamed? We'd better think about it. 
we'd better understand it. We'd better take a time out and see where we are as citizens of the United States. Because make no mistake about it, we are at war. We are in a cultural war. And the cultural war began when? With the fall of man in the garden? And it goes all the way through the final judgment? But the good news, Christmas was God's D-Day. In the middle of the cultural war that we're a part of, and all the world is a part of at this moment in time. Ephesians 6 puts it in proper context. Ephesians 6, we're told how we are to operate in this cultural war, but it sets the whole climate of it. Listen carefully. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. And that armor is described over here, the rest of the verse, which I'll not read. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle, our war, is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Would you kneel with me, if you can, where you're seated? Father, we're in deep, deep water way over our heads. The alarm bells are sounding. We're frustrated asking questions. We do not have any definitive answers. There's pain, there's confusion. And Lord, help us in this moment of time to see the true north on the compass of life. May we look at true maps that tell us where we are and then instruct us how we then are to live. Lord, you speak. Let me get out of the way. I've got nothing to say, but speak your truth and may it be convincing, led by your spirit, as you do business, supernatural business, in the hearts and lives of every person prepared to worship and to grow and to change. Speak, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It was a beautiful spring day. The sun was out, the sky was clear, the breeze was a cooling breeze. What a fabulous time. And a whole bunch of families went out to a field. It was a beautiful field with green grass, 
And the children were out there running in the fields and the parents were standing around the fields. It was one of those glorious, we would call it bluebird days. We've had a whole bundle of them recently. And, and it was a time of celebration and a time of joy to see the children jumping. And they were, they were chasing butterflies. They were all in the air when suddenly the parents noticed in the field there were land mines. And then they looked around and said, those are not butterflies. Those are bullets. Everything changed. Radically changed. Now, they were on a battlefield. A war. Totally unexpected. And things that were important that day, what we're going to have for dinner tonight and what I'll wear to work tomorrow and what about the children's schooling and, you know, the bed I sleep on is too hard and all those things in wartime, in true wartime, does not make a bit of difference. Ladies and gentlemen, We, right now, this moment, we are in that kind of battle in the day and age in which we are now living. And if we do not understand that, and we do not see the importance of this battle, because it is more vicious than any kind of context or any kind of war humanity has ever been in, Get that, understand that, comprehend that. This is where we are today. Now, who is our enemy? We've been infected with a disease. If we can discover the cause of that disease and we can decide who our enemy is, if you're in a battle, you better know who who your opposition is, who you're fighting with. And our enemy is not who most of us would identify as our enemy. We'd say, well, it's the Muslims, it's the Buddhists, it's the cafeteria Christians, it's the phonies, it's the atheists, it's the agnostics, it's the Iranians, it's the Chinese. And we would try to describe all of these forces and powers and individuals and nations that, boy, that's who our enemy is. That's who my enemy is. That's who America's enemy is. None of these people, none of these entities, none of these pagan organizations, that's not our enemy. That's not who our enemy is. Our enemy is the devil, it's evil, it's Satan. And somebody said, oh, you mean you're gonna bring out that guy in the red tights and the horns and the pitchfork and and the hooves? Listen, we live in the modern world. I mean, you'd have to be uneducated and, and ignorant and bigoted to think that our enemy is Satan himself. What kind of lunatic are you? Where do you live? But I can assure you, Jesus believed in the devil. Jesus met the devil. 
And therefore, you have to say that Jesus, Jesus himself, was bigoted and narrow and ignorant. You want to let that be your statement in the court of human judgment? Jesus met the devil right there following his baptism in the wilderness, temptation. Jesus met the devil head on there in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross. Jesus encountered evil forces, demonic forces, all the way through his ministry, all the way through his life on this earth, and he confronted them. And he knew the devil because he created the devil. Whoa, time out. You mean Jesus created the devil? He certainly did. We know a little bit about that cosmic battle from the Bible, way above our pay scale, but that supernatural battle when the devil was created as an angel. And the devil and his entourage, they decided through pride, they wanted to run their own life and he wanted to be God. And in that battle, he was thrown out of heaven And therefore, we have Satan, a fallen angel. Now, a lot of people think, here's God, juxtaposed to God is Satan. Satan is evil and God is good. And that's the battle. No, Satan is not juxtaposed to God. Satan is smarter than we are, more powerful than we are. But he is angel, not unlike Michael, who was an archangel, Satan would be juxtaposed to Michael. He's not omnipotent, omniscient, or omnipresent. Make no mistake about it. So we misunderstand that. Satan was a fallen angel, and therefore his purpose is to undercut and to destroy, to kill, to deceive, to malign, to slander all of us. And by the way, he doesn't come dressed like that in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns. He comes as a beautiful person, as a very congenial person, as a very sweet person, as a very warm, encouraging, cheerleading, someone we'd all want to listen to and learn from an angel of light fallen. That is the forces of evil that we see. Satan, that is our enemy and all of his emissaries, all the demons, and they operate in a supernatural area and they seek to invade and destroy the lives of all of us who are created in the image of God. By the way, The 20th century, I believe, was the century of the devil. It's almost like the devil went before God and said, give me one century. All I want is one century. So the 20th century, it seems that the devil operated stronger in the 20th century than any other time in history. Well, where do you get that? Pol Pot, Cambodia, the killing fields. Stalin, Gulag. How many millions? Mayo, how many millions? Idi Amin, Adolf Hitler. You go on and on. The Ukraine. Hitler, we know, purposely starved over 10 million in the Ukraine. They asked him about it. He said, 10 million is a statistic. Nobody pays any attention to that. But one person starved to death. Oh, that brings emotion. 
Over 100 million people in the 20th century totally obliterated. Life was taken from them by demonic people. By demonic people. Normal human beings can't do that. This was Satan in the lives of those who destroyed many thousands, millions, the 20th century, the bloodiest century of genocide in the history of humanity. It was, we might say, the devil's century. 21st century, returns are not yet in. Well, how do you know all of these dictators and leaders and despots hunger for power and greed? How do you know they were the devil? One reason you can tell, not a single one of them, as far as history tells us, had a scintilla of regret or repentance as the millions, all walks of life, lives were taken away. And then we know it was the 20th century that we see that those who were called to be healers, physicians, who took a Hippocratic oath, it became a hypocritical oath as they are the mass murderers today in the United States of America. And if Satan were to come back in flesh today, I think he would be a physician working in Planned Parenthood, sniffing out the lives of thousands. The 20th century, we can say almost with all that happened, it was a century in which the devil seemed to have the upper hand almost everywhere you looked. Who's the enemy of the devil? Then we've got to ask the question, what kind of war are we in? We're in a war, let, let's look at the battlefield in which we're fighting this war. It's a different kind of battlefield. Very different kind of battlefield. I want you to look at Matthew chapter number 10. Jesus is speaking, he tells us about the battlefield. Listen, verse 26, therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Jesus said, when I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, listen carefully, but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What's he saying? Don't worry about those who can kill our bodies. They're not made to last forever. We've talked about that. What is made to last forever is your soul and my soul. We've defined that anything that is not flesh is our soul. And therefore, we're in a war for soul. You see how much more critical it is. The battle we're in is not, you know, for our bodies. That's not the war, war we're in. It's a body for that soul, that part that will be with you and be with me forever and forever and forever. There's where the battle is. 
And that battle is 10 zillion times more critical than any human physical wars we find ourselves in. It's the soul, it's the, it's the suke. And when we are born, we come into this world, the first thing that happens, the doctor slaps us on our backside and we cry. And there you see the, the fire, the desire in every single one of us, that's our soul. We're made in the image of God. Somebody said they, they dreamed some angels came back to the world and looked around and said, Heavenly Father, what happened here? I thought all these people were created in your image. I can't see much of that. Our soul, that's where the war is. And that is the most critical war that Anybody can be, it's a battle for the soul, that intangible part of us. And we have in our world a sense of spirituality. The biggest religion in America is spirituality. I love when somebody says, talk to Bill about the Lord. He is so spiritual. (laughs) I know Bill's got big problems. Because what is spirituality? Spirituality is, I'm going to make my own mind up. Spirituality is, you know, I don't believe in sin. Spirituality is, man, I believe in religion if it's compassionate and if it's tolerant. I'm I'm a spiritual person. I I have this feeling about God. It's a mixture of new age. It's a mixture of all kind of pop culture that comes out of some Hollywood Looney Tunes and said, boy, this is how you can really get, you got to be spiritual and meditate and all the rest of it. That is a dangerous religion because it has no content, no historical reality, no place upon which to sign. And it is a counterfeit of true, genuine spirituality. The soul is spiritual. And those who are spiritual people, they do not accept the soul as we do because their Lord God Almighty is science and science can't define it and see it and and spell it out and put it out where we can all get a hold of it. You see, that's what happened. It is the soul. And when birth takes place, fire, passion comes out in every individual. That's our soul. What we do with that fire, what we do with that passion that's within every human being is so important. Billy Graham, he had that fire when he was born. And Billy Graham took that fire in his life and when God called him and changed his life, he took that fire and he became Johnny One Note. Billy Graham had a chance to run with a very prominent candidate to be Vice President of the United States, he turned it down. He had offers from colleges, universities, businesses, corporations that you would not believe on this earth. And he just turned his back on all of that. He said, I have one thing I do. I'm in the sole business for God. And that one thing that he did, that is true spirituality. By the same token, Janis Joplin. Janice Joplin was born, bang, she had that fire, gifted, creative, smart, passionate, but she was scattered all over the place. Drugs, sex, fun, literature, songs. Janice was 
gifted, greatly gifted. I hear Billy Graham, but she got so scattered and so confused that all the lack of oneness, she was dead at 27, 27. So we have this fire, but that fire has to be held together by the glue that Jesus Christ gives to every personality. So there is fire and there is glue. There is fire and there is water. You can take steel and put it in fire and you can bend it around, but water will take that and temper that and let it stay in place. We have to have both fire and continuity. Fire and continuity, it is our soul. And that is where the battle is for you and for me in this world. Our enemy is the devil. The battle is in spiritual areas. And we know the battle for the soul is what this culture war is all about. Don't be misled. Then we ask, what are the weapons of the enemy? What are the weapons that Satan is using? In this war, we talked about them. There's a battle for truth. It's amazing to me in the postmodern age how truth is totally confused, it's diluted, and truth becomes yeah, whatever you want it to be. What would you like to be true? What has really happened? You see this? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to interpret it the way I want to interpret it. So truth is absolutely a major issue at this moment, this day and age. What is truth? Truth is under attack. Also, Satan has put peace, peace banners all over the playing field, all over the battlefield, saying, let's make peace. Oh, yeah. What did Jesus say? He said, peace I bring to you, but not the peace that the world gives. His kind of peace is totally different, ladies and gentlemen. What kind of peace does he give us? The world says, cessation of conflict. Okay, we're going to compromise. We're going to make peace. Here's God and Satan. Why don't they just get together? Have a kumbaya party. That would be the thing to do, wouldn't it? Oh, no. Jesus says, I come to bring peace in a different way than the world. What kind of peace did he bring? What kind of peace did he give to us? Peace with God through Christ. Peace with ourselves, we need it. And peace with other people. That's a supernatural peace that he brings to the table. And that's his weapon. What is the primary weapon that Satan uses? Satan most wants more than anything else to destroy the family. How's that working out? How's that working out? The reason we're so dogmatic about marriages we conduct in this church is because we try to work clearly with the bride and the groom to let them know outside of the decision they'll make for Christ, this is the most life-changing, determinative decision they'll ever make. So we don't marry everybody who walks in the door. And a lot of the families get upset about it. That's okay. Unless we're marrying in Christ, we have seen through all of these years what happens. Satan is in the business of destroying the family. What weapon is he using primarily to destroy the family? We go right back. It is sex. 
Let me tell you something. Here are parents, here are the children. The sexual understanding of children as they move away different from their parents, it begins to change the family. And then the next generation, those children move further away from the sexual understanding of their parents, it even gets a greater distance. This is what is happening. This is what was happening. This is what's taking place. And the very core of the family, united in God, in Christ, one flesh, oh, is being destroyed. That is the primary target of Satan in this whole universe, and he loves to attack families. Families who are church families, families who've gone to sleep at the wheel, and families who've let gradualism and other uh, things just move away and take away from the priority of God and Christ and worship. Satan's attacking the family. Then we ask the question, Well, how do we win the war? We see all the barrage we're part of in our secular world. We see the family is being decimated right before us, redefined, marriage redefined, family redefined. Well, what weapons do we have? What weapons do we have in God's army? I can tell you, we are going to win the cultural war. How did we know that? Because light eliminates darkness. Because truth is stronger than a lie. And because the Lord Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and that's not just a verbiage, he really is in actuality. What's the secret weapon that we've got that we forget? A weapon that always wins, a weapon that is invincible, a weapon that is so powerful in the cultural war that we have for the souls of humanity. What is that weapon? I can tell you what it is. It is the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what do we do? We have to have and use sanctity. Whoa, sanctity? Absolutely, we need sanctity. We are saints. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, he's your Lord and your Savior. Guess what? You are a saint. And as a saint, using spirituality and God's sanctity in us, I'll tell you, that's a battle. That's a battle that we'll always win because you and I as saints, we're the blood bank of God Almighty. And we will get engaged in the war and we will be the blood bank and that blood through you and me, which is agape love flowing out, is absolutely invincible. Now, we're going to win the war if we are tenacious, strong, and we just don't quit. 
By the way, a saint is supposed to be nice, right? Wrong. Saints are not nice. Nice people never end up on a cross. Have you noticed that? You ever heard, there's a real nice person and we had to kill them. That never happens, never has happened. Saints are not nice because we become warriors in the culture in which we live. And that's not popular. That's not accepted. That'll pull us away from this and charge us into this. Oh yeah, saints are not nice, they're warriors. And they keep on, keep on, keep on, keeping on. How do you become a saint? The old Broadway thing. Why not take all of me? Take all of me. Remember that old Broadway, take all of me. We go to the Lord, I go, Lord, I want you to take all of me. When I made my commitment to Christ a long time ago, I went down the aisle, they handed me a card. I didn't know what to say. I was a Christian. I said, Lord, I give you all that I am and all I'll ever be. That's exactly what I wrote down. I give you all that I am and all that I'll ever be. The only problem is I've taken a lot of that back. Here it is, Lord. I lay it all. Oh, we take it back. And so we say, Lord, why won't you take all of me? I, I want to be in your army. I want to be a saint, a true Christian. And the Lord says, well, just give me all well, I have. It's going to take grace. Oh, yeah. Lord, I've given you. Just give me all. That's all. Take all of me. And then we become his blood bank. And that blood is the agape love of God in Jesus Christ. And nothing can stop that flow from the life of a saint. Remember, we talked about this. This is part two of how to win the war. We talked about this. What do we do? We speak love. What do we teach? You remember? Truth. How do we live? Pure. What happens when anyone measures up to these beginning steps of sainthood? Persecution. Persecution. If you're not at cross purposes, with individuals and peoples and cults and understanding in this world, you're not in the battle. You're not in the battle. You may think you are, you're not in the battle. To win the war, there has to be an attitude that Winston Churchill had. Remember Churchill, he spoke to his alma mater and he gave a short address in the middle of the Second World War. He said, never quit. He said, never, 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 never quit. That's it. A Doberman walking down the street, decided to go down a new street. He went down that new street and sitting in the yard was a little bitty bulldog. And the bulldog stood up and the Doberman went over there and, said, ah, and just tore him up, beat him up, blood Man just absolutely, just almost obliterated that little bulldog. The Doberman walked off. Next day, the Doberman came that street and he started down that street. There's that little bulldog in the yard, all beat up, all bad. The Doberman went into him again. Man, the bulldog got some bites in. Man, they had a tough little battle there. Finally, the Doberman won. Next day, 
The doberman starts down the street, looks down that street, sees that little bulldog down there. He said, you know, I don't believe I'll go down that street today. (laughs) That is the kind of life we who are called by God to be saints, we must never quit because the blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful than anything this world will ever, 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 ever understand.